Yeah, kid! Welcome, welcome everybody back to another episode of the Handsome Homebuyer Podcast. I'm your host, aka the Handsome Homebuyer, Charles Weinraub, aka Captain Permit to the Latin community. I am now going to be known as El Judio Maravilloso. <laughs> All right? Hide your kids, hide your wives, hide your husbands, because the titans of Long Island real estate, and I'm putting myself in that group, are in the room today. But before we go there, shameless plug. You know who else is a titan? Who else you need? Captain Permit. 516-513-8838. And by the time our guest leaves today, I'm going to get him to commit officially on air to using Captain Permit at some point over the next year. Because I know if anybody has permit problems, it's, it's me. It's the guy sitting across the desk from me right now. Oh, yes. Whatever you guys need anywhere on Long Island, if you're a mortgage broker, if you're a realtor, if you're an investor, the process is torturous. And I just want to let everybody know, listen, the only thing I can promise you guys is we've gotten in trouble everywhere. We'll always pick up the phone and we'll bust our ass for you. But we're not magic. We're not superheroes. We can't predict the towns. They are completely out of their mind. Out of control. They change the game on a daily basis. And all we can do is educate you as to why this shit show is happening. But if you think all you could do, all you could do is get up in the morning and just ride this baby and see what happens. All right? If you have a house that smells like Cappy, commercial property, land for development, subdivisions, anything real estate related, I'm simple, I'm easy, I'm low maintenance, I want to buy it. 516-777-SOUL. All right, so I, I want to introduce today's guest, right? Tremendous amount of respect for this man. He is on a level that few, if any, people are on nationwide, let alone Long Island. Everybody wants to be him. Guys want to be him. Girls want to sleep with him. <laughs> He's done everything. He has an unbelievable rags to riches to rags to riches story, which we're going to hear about. I've been on the edge of my seat half an hour before this podcast listening to the stories. We had a little moment, shed a little tear. I shared a little. He shared a little bit. It was special. Billy Alvaro, Easy Sell Properties. What's up, brother? How are you, my man? Good to see you. Thanks for, having, thanks for having me on the show. Bro. The uh, reciprocation. Thank you for having me on yours. Yeah, I you loved a, it. You did a great job. Thank you. 103.9. Yeah, it was uh, catching 3.9? Uh, what does that mean? Yeah, 103.9. Oh, no, I thought it was 3.9. I thought it was a rating. 103.9, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, you're, yes. you're a 10.0. Yes. <laughs> you're not a 3.9. Some days 11. Some days 11. <laughs> right. right. Um, so, I mean, you're you're out there. A lot of people know you on Long Island. You're you're top of the top. I mean, you know, you and I were I doing that, a ton of stuff. I mean, we've never... Friendly competitors. I don't even. I don't even want to use the word competitor. Listen, we're in the same line of business. So yes. some people. So what did I say when you came onto the show? It's collaborators. Uh, collaborators. Yes. Right. We're collaborators. I mean, listen, we're in the same business. We do the same thing. I don't believe in taking somebody who's doing what I do and no. try to fight with them. I believe in bringing it together and let's make something happen. The thing is, like the thing that I always say to people, like Maddie and I were just talking about this offline, is when you it's counterproductive to think that you know people are your competition and then try to like hide stuff from them or not share because at the end of the day we love ourselves we love each other but like we're not reinventing the wheel no like all the stuff that we're doing direct mail or the this the calls the networking the classes whatever right. it is like this has been done for years and years and years right i mean the difference between you me and everybody else is we're not afraid to die on a treadmill we work yeah. We work, we make it happen, and we share, we give us. I mean, you're a giver, I'm a giver. I like being able to help people get to the next level in life. I mean, that's my thing, man. And, and my, my, the people on my, on my staff, the people that work with me on my team, I love nothing more than bringing somebody in who has absolutely zero idea mm -hmm. and just dumping on him the brain dump. And over the six months, nine months, a year, 
watching the evolution. Maybe even my own cousin. My cousin came in. He had no clue yeah. what the fuck he was doing. And now he's running the whole entire back end of the company in the rehab side. Bought yeah. into the company as a partner, for Christ's sake. Uh, you know, and, and to watch the evolution, I mean, that's really like my... Um, my CFO and I had a deal. He's like, I'm going to come on and I don't want anybody to know I'm here. He's like, part of the deal is that like, I'm going to get my first rental property and then like our relationship will be out of the closet. He's like, cause I want proof of concept. Right. Cause three years ago when I met him, when I met him like 10 years ago, but three years ago, he's like, I want to buy rentals. I want to change my, my kids, kids, kids lives. Like right. I want that passive Generational income. wealth. Yeah. And um, next week he's about to close on his first rental. And I was thinking about it. I sat down and I was like, "You're changing his life." This is one of the most. This is like. This is probably to this day the most satisfying moment in my career. Yeah, because the guy came in and you helped him attain his dream, his goal. Yeah, and I mean, it's the first of many, I'm sure. He helps me every single day, and together, like I feel like we have a responsibility to help other people get up the mountain. Like you got to reach down and pull that guy or girl up with you. Absolutely. And you can only really do that by by sharing, you know, what you know. Listen, that's why you, you're doing what you're doing, dude. Because and vice giver. versa. Yeah, you're a giver. I'm a giver, and you know, I just believe in giving. Mm-hmm. Don't ask for anything in return, but the magic happens because it comes back to you tenfold, tenfold so, all the time without asking for it. I want to give like a very general <laughs> overview of you, and then I want to like bring it back in time and kind of you know go through the uh, progression the whole that process. is that is Billy Alvaro. Right. So like. You've been in the mortgage business. You've been bartending. Title, title you, business. Title business. business. You're almost a police officer, which I was almost a police officer, but I just found yeah, out, which yeah. is crazy. I mean, you're one of the biggest investors around wholesaling rehabs. Now you're a performance coach on a national scale, probably on a worldwide scale in the next couple of years, because I know you. You're yeah. not, not going to be- I'm not, I'm not talking about that yet, because I don't know if I'm going to do it. I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, we spoke Bro. before off camera. I don't know if I'm going to go down that road. I'm I testing it. I know you because, like, I know myself, <laughs> right. and there's like a certain chip that, like, you and I got on the assembly line that's like kind of similar. Yeah. So, like, for me, I always tell people, like, and they look at me like I'm fucking nuts. I'm like, listen, I don't care about the money, bro. Like, I live in an apartment that's the size of this room. Yeah. I drive a $260 a month car, and I'm not knocking you if you like nice shit. You can nice shit like nice shit. But for me, I actually live in an apartment this size right now myself. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, money is nice in the sense that you know you're not gonna starve. Right. But like, I like I was talking to this kid. It's about building. It's about creating. It's about that for me. I love the challenge of it. I love being like, you know what? I'm gonna do some shit that nobody else has done. I love being told I can't do it. Without a doubt. I love being told it's never gonna happen. Can't and listen, it. not to pat ourselves in the back, but we're doing it. I don't care what anybody says. We're doing it in the hardest place there is to do it. Long Island, New York, is the absolute Come toughest on. market ever, bro. You know, you it's like, the toughest market. You know better than anybody because you go to like a lot of summits and meetings and like mastermind groups out of the area. It's so much easier out of state, yeah. especially the states that are non-attorney states, where there's non-attorneys. They just, that, they use title companies. That's Those what I was states say. are the apps. Texas, yeah. I have friends in Texas. They're banging out fifty deals a month, hundred deals a month, yeah, a month, with op- with uh, gun racks and open beverage containers, <laughs> right, right. And they're they're buying properties at a yeah. decent price. You know, they're not robbing. Auctions people. are very big down there, right? Uh, auctions are big north, uh, southwest, midwest, but the auctions all over the place right now. From what I'm gathering from the groups I'm in, are hard all shot. decimated. All, all the whole market, all, but it's coming back. You know that two and years within eighteen to twenty four, it's back. Bro, I was like. You know, I threw like I threw a hard date on it when I was on your show. Yeah. I was like Q4 2019, like I'm you know I'm planting a flag. So it is, and I've been seeing it for a while since oh, yeah. last February. I know you have. Yeah. Because I've been hearing snippets. Of, I've been saying people are like you're fucking nuts, and then I've been hearing snippets of you on on the on the show, the radio show. That and on social media. Yeah. And I'm like, 
he gets it. Yeah. Like, well, you and I had a conversation about what three, four months ago. You hit me up and you're like, yeah. what's your thoughts? And I go, yes. bro, I give you my thoughts. You're like, yeah, I'm thinking the same fucking shit. Really interesting story. So there's a guy who, when I first got into real estate five years ago, and I'm like, I'm gonna do 100 houses a year. There was a guy who has a fund. I'm like, I'm sure you know this guy, but I'm not gonna mention his name. Makes the is hair. he local out here? Yeah, local. yeah, I know, I know who he is. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know exactly. Kind of makes the hair in the back of my when neck. When I was coming up. here, I thought that's where I was going. I'm like, whoa. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. So he, um, you know, he sat me down. He brought me to lunch. He's like, I want to fund all your deals, and I'm just like, dude, this just doesn't feel right. Like I just, you make the hair in the back of my neck stand up. Same conversation. But he said something to me that resonated with me, that stayed with me, and I have to thank him for that because he's like, I said to him like, yo, what happens when the market tanks and you have all these, you doing all these houses? And he's like, if you're gonna do what you say you're gonna do. You're gonna know it and feel it before anybody else. Oh yeah, and he was a hundred percent right. Yeah, and I that. But what, what did he tell you in regards to whatever other avenue to go down? Make sure you have two exits. Make sure you have, you can he, rent he, it. He, he didn't say anything else did. to me about it. All he said to me was, and I was never like my own personal opinion. Like if you're having if you have a house that you're gonna sell for like five fifty or at the volume that we do when we have 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 houses under construction at a time. Bro, what are you gonna refinance and rent? Like, yeah. first of all, the numbers don't make sense. Nah, you're done. You you're, can't. You're you're done. I, I, we've pulled back a lot in the last six months on the rehab side intentionally because you know what? Listen, we're cherry picking the deals. Mm -hmm. We spoke about this, man. I, I'm, yeah. Our underwriting criteria is very tight. I'm Dude. not adding second stories. I'm not going out for square footage. Nope. Anything that's gonna t any, I'm not buying. I'm not selling anything that's over five fifty. Yep. I'm not in that market. For I'm me, done. For me, it's very clear. It's Nassau, 550 and under ARVs, yep. Suffolk, 400 and under it's ARVs. the same as I think. That's my thing. Yeah. And the hard part is, and this is, and so I was reading this book um, after your show, maybe like a month ago, I finished it up. It was uh, King of Capital. It was a story of Blackstone because I really, I want to go into private equity. That's my this. thing. Yeah. So like I want a private equity fund. And you're going to do it because you're talking about Fa it. It's Failure is not an option. Yeah, it's definitely going to happen. Failure is not an option. You're going to have like one of those 10X summits or so am I. I'm going to call you and be like, bro, you got to come down to speed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're going to call me and that's what it's going to be. And we're going to rock it. Yeah, I love but, it. Um, so I'm reading this book and um, shit, where the hell was I going with this? Oh, 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 oh um, systemic problem. So I'm like, what's the systemic problem? What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? And then they start, so the, the book focuses a lot on leverage buyouts, right? They call them LBOs. Yep. So when they buy companies, reposition yep. them and sell them or whatever. Yep. But it's more about riding the wave of the economy more than it is adding value with those businesses at this point, right? So they were talking about right before the crash, and they weren't talking about real estate. They were talking the about- The crash? Yeah. They were talking about um, how banks were, there was so much liquidity in the market that banks were lending so heavily on the LBOs that- Businesses that should have been going for like six times cash flow were going for 10, 12, 14 times yeah, cash flow. It's almost like the bubble with the internet. And Same as soon shit. as the market would turn, they couldn't handle the debt. So in that moment, I was like, oh, fuck, I know what it is. I'm like, I don't know if it's big enough to impact the whole country, but I'm like, fix and flip products in financing. 90% of the purchase price, 100% of the reno, first time guys who've never done it, paying 50, 60, $75,000 over what they should have. Yep. And then boom, the house of cards. So I work with Finance America a lot. They do refinances on all my um, like single rentals. family rentals. You've heard of them before? Yeah. So I'm talking. I deal with one of the higher ups up there now, and I'm talking to him like, bro, listen, talk to me about your default rates. I'm like, your default rates got to be fucking crazy. Like you guys are loaning, and he's like, we only mess with like guys on your level, so you have to do at least twenty five a year, and like guys like you, like they're not getting into that trouble. He goes, but I've seen some recent stats industry wide. Oh, it's it's happening. 10 to 15 percent oh yeah it's, default, it's yeah. which is huge so so yesterday i had a film crew in my office for the mm -hmm. social media thing so once nice. a month they come out 
and went to a house that we're doing in Bayshore. Okay. And it was that same situation. I bought that house not from a distressed seller, mm-hmm. not from the REO bank. I bought that house from a private lender who, a guy that does what we do, yeah. fucked up the deal, couldn't get it done. The house was decimated, $100,000, $110,000 over budget. The private lender wow. I happened to know called her up and said, yo, you're in a world of, you better get over to that house. Her husband's a major contra- contractor. Mm-hmm. He goes over to the house, he goes, I want nothing to do with it. So I had to bail her out, take this other lady that was the contract, that was the rehabber like us, move her to the side. But this lady, the private lender, she would have been, she would have lost $200,000. Easy, if I didn't step in. Did the, oh, so she stayed in the deal. She didn't like... She stayed in the deal. She got she did a deed in lieu with the other lady, with the rehabber. Okay. Deed in lieu. She gave me the property okay. for $100,000 less than what this lady owed her because I went in and I said, look, this is what has to happen. I go, you're screwed. I don't I don't want your money. I'll do the house. We'll work something out. We'll do a JV. Mm-hmm. But this deal sucks. Yeah. And she's like, thank God you bailed me out. But to your point, people that don't know what they're doing. Dude, they and they bought, she bought over leveraged... They're going out. They they don't. And you know what it is like. So I um I actually uh, consulted with a guy. Um, a friend's brother owns like a big mortgage bank out here. And he's like, I want to do a fix and flip line. He's like, Will you come in, talk to my brother? You know, just tell him what the market is. So I sit down with him, and I'm like, Bro, you're like you're eight years too late. Yeah, you're getting in on the back end. You're eight years too late. A and B. I was like, Listen, I love your brother. Like I've never met you, but like I love your brother. So I'm gonna tell you, like this is really risky. And you know what he said to me? He's like, because he was, at first he's like, you know, I have a warehouse line and I'm just going to keep it. I'll make the arbitrage between like, you know, the 10, 12, 14% and then what my warehouse line is. And I'm like, he's like, I want to let it sit on the books. I'm like, you want no to way. this shit? Is-. Yeah, right. Dude. And then finally he's like, he called me back for another meeting. He goes, I'm like, you sure you want to do this? I'm like, it's getting, it's getting bad out there. And because he thought he was going to lend to guys like me and you. I'm like, you're no, not. He's lending to the newbies. You lend to newbies. Like, they don't we know have what re- the freak they're doing. 10, 12 percent, two, four points, right? We have relationships with cheaper money. Dude, I get my money cheap now. Seven and a half, eight percent. That's cheap, bro. Yeah, for, for fix and flip, one point. Yeah, no, that's cheap. It's cheap, so, real cheap. I'll hook you up. Yeah, let me oh, know. Yeah, I'll hook you up. I'm right in that same range. I yeah. don't. Um, it's it's straight interest, but I, you know, the more the merrier. Yeah, straight interest on the fix on the fix and flips. Yeah, seven percent's my lowest. The other guy's eight. One point, one and a half points. Nice. Yeah, oh, that's good. It's good money. Save me when I did that debt. I did the whole debt analysis. It was like three hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars a year, right down to the bottom line. Yeah, I've been when I started from day one, and I don't like my thing is like I can't hammer a nail. I don't really know how to do shit, but like, I can't change the light bulb. Exactly, right? <laughs> We're the same guy. I can't do any of this shit. So I'm like, I'm gonna pay ten percent annualized interest, paid monthly, because I feel like people like the psychology of the checks. Getting them right, getting them monthly. And I'm gonna go out and um, I never really worked with a hard money lender. I'm gonna go out and raise money. Private capital. Yeah, I'm gonna go like do dog and pony shows. Yeah, and I'm gonna do like a, and you a pro did this? forma. This is what you're saying you I, did? I did. Yeah, right. this is what I did from day one. Right. Like, so I did the first one. They were like, "Kid, there's no way you could do this. It's never gonna happen. You're gonna bomb." And then they're like, "All right, maybe you got lucky." Right. And then they're like. All right, cool. Here's money. Right, right, and that's what I've done. Yep. So like, I have a range anywhere from like I always joke that I'm the number one investment vehicle in Wantoa. So I have people that I've rolled into like self-directed IRAs. Yep. And then I have like guys that own hedge funds yep. that are using personal money and everything in between. But he said to me, he's like, you know what? I don't care. He goes, because I'm selling this paper within 30 days or less. So the guys. This is the mortgage guy. You back? Yes. Up, right. So these are the guys. Now the guys that are lending the money are just like. Who cares? So someone's gonna hold the bag. It's happening. It's listen. It's when it happens. There's gonna be an opportunity. Like this lady who I just bailed out. They're gonna be all over Long Island, Queens, Brooklyn, and Bronx. They're gonna be all over the place. Watch. There's gonna be a and lot. We're of, gonna have to come in to bail these guys out. The um, like the the kind of like the touch and go with guys like you and I are is, how do we keep doing business to generate revenue and take care of our team, while having enough security 
and liquid capital that we don't get hurt, and then we can jump in yeah. after the shit hits the fan. Yeah, so I mean, you know you're smart, I'm smart. The key to this whole thing is not just being liquid yourself, but make sure you have a nice fat line yes. from the people behind you. Yes. And when that happens, you just take their money, you buy in at a tremendous discount, everybody makes a spread. And the, um, the conversations that I'm having, like I actually, I did like a State of the Union video and I sent it to all my investors. And the conversation I'm having with them now is like, listen guys, it's been five years of like balls to the wall, your, your money's flowing, flowing, flowing. I'm like, my primary concern is keeping all you guys safe. The deals are not going to be like they were before. There's going to be fewer, and I'm doing that because I don't feel it. Right. So and, and the deals are hard to come by, man. Well, that's what it is. Yeah. The, the deals are just so hard to come by right now. But that's if you, um, that's if you're not emotional. Like you're not emotional about it. No. It's dollars. It's and numbers, cents. right? And it's cool that you're saying that because I'll talk to people that be like, "Oh, I'm buying 30, 40 deals is crazy." I'm like, "Bro, if you're buying 30, 40 deals and you're not like, you know, Charles or Billy." you're overpaying on everything. Yeah, yeah, I mean, listen, we have a process with the guys are still bringing in. Last month, uh, February, they brought in a total of 19 properties. Four of the 19 were, were uh, retail deals, so listings. Okay. So 15 properties yeah. in, but very slim margins. I mean, these are not deals that are, you know, we're not we're not knocking out of the ballpark. These yeah. are just getting us by. We're very, yep. very selective which ones we're gonna rehab. Yep. The other ones we kind of offload. Yep. Some of them are rentals. We give them out to the guys that are gonna rent because we talked about this, my rental portfolio is down. I got maybe... On the single family side, maybe ten or twelve properties left. Yeah, it's interesting. We got to talk about. It. I, actually, I want to. I want to. Again, you and I just went on like a twenty minute tangent, <laughs> but like I want people again back to the whole like you've been up, you've been down, you've been you're up, up, up. Well, I've been up. I've been up, down. I was yeah, right, up, down, up, right. Yeah, up, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Well, I was down, I went up. I was down, I went back up. Yeah. yeah. So like they say, the old saying is like, if you know how to make money, you could be a millionaire. You know, five, ten, a hundred times over. Correct. Like. I, I want the I want the abridged story of you know the transition of Billy Alvaro from like when he got into business through mortgages title through the crash and then the resurrection. Yeah, it was it was a process, man. I mean, it was, I don't know how deep you want me to go, but it was it was a process. So how far back do you want me to go? Just roll with get, it, like, man. There's, get, there's, get, getting in, there's no get into it. So so we got I, I got into the business. Oh, I can't. I gotta take that, but I'm not going. <laughs> <laughs> we got into the business. Um, I got into the business by accident. I was working as a bartender in Florida. Mm. And uh, there was a bookie, this guy Kelly, who's, he's dead now. And Kelly was a bookie and a Coke dealer. He was probably <laughs> 60 years old. Good looking fella, you know, he's like, he always yeah. told me about his stories. He was like in with the with the movies, I banged this one and I was with this girl. I'm like, right. But then he started showing me pictures and I'm like, maybe this guy's on to something. Like he right. was the talker, but there was a lot of validity to what he was saying. He took a liking to me and he's like, and he, almost like from the Bronx, he was like, kid, you wasted talent. Every time he came in and he was there every night, Jeopardy, seven o'clock, he'd sit down, I'd give him his Miller, his Miller Light, and he would do his thing, he'd go to the bathroom, he would do this bookie shit, whatever, he'd come back in. He's there for six months, I was there for six months, and finally I was like, yo, you're wasted talent, you, you're behind this boy, you're gonna end up like Rick. Rick was an old guy, life, mm -hmm. life of bartender. You gotta do something, you gotta get into sales, something, like, I'm having fun, I'm doing my thing, I'm single. Kept on busting my balls, finally he comes in, he goes, yo, I met this older guy, Robert, I went to his seminar, he's, look, he's a mortgage guy, he's looking mm -hmm. for a young protege to train. I thought I needed college. I'm like, Kelly, I got one fucking semester of college. Are you out of your mind? I'm not, I can't do this. He's like, you're, in, you're a sales guy. Go meet him. I set the appointment up. For one month, I refused to go. because I, I was having fun. I was 23 years old, 24 yeah. years old. Bartending. Maybe 24, 25, around there. And uh, so finally after a month, Ke Kelly's like, did you go see this guy? I go, Kelly, he goes, tomorrow morning, eight o'clock, 7 o'clock at his house, Boca Raton, I want you to go down there. Now, I work until six, 4 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. After cleaning up, I'm 6 o'clock, so I'm having no sleep. I ended up going to this guy's house. 
I sat there. It was like eight people in the room. And I'm listening to this guy talk. And I'm like, this guy's, I mean, he's not that sharp, but he's got a great place. I go, what do you, after the seminar, I go, what do you make in a year? I make 150 to 175,000. This was back in like 94. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, you're making 150, doing mortgages? He's like, yeah. I go, train me for one year. Because <laughs> in the back of my head, I'm saying, you know what? If this guy's doing that, I know what I'm capable of. Yeah. And I trained with this guy. I still worked at the bar. Mm-hmm. And he just he just gave me his knowledge. And I went out and I made him money. I go, I don't want to get paid. Train me and let me understand what you do. And I'll make you money. And then after a year, I'm going out. I'm yeah. doing my thing. And it's probably like nine or ten months, maybe a year roundabout. I ended up getting a job. Quit the, quit the mortgage. Uh, quit the bartender thing. Got a job. Loved it. Got my first paycheck. Started making money. All of a sudden, I'm making like $18,000 a month, $20,000 a month as a kid. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, I'm on to something. Fast forward, opened up my own mortgage brokerage shop up here in New York. Small company. Off my credit card. What year was that? That was um, 99 is when we opened up. Okay. okay. 99, small company. So basically did it off my credit card. $5,000. Started this whole company up because I went through a little bit of a challenge. I had a, a branch. They closed down the branch. So they took our money that was in the escrow account. So it was a pain in the ass. Like I'm growing and at the same time I'm getting pulled. Mortgage business is a really tough business. I'm learning Scummy. like the intricacies Scummy, of it. Man. I mean, it's it's crazy yeah, business. It's, it's if you don't have the right people around you, it's pretty scummy. Yeah. It is, man. There's, there's a lot of dirtbags in the business. And the regulations, too, are just insane. Like, it's just, it's a now, hard business. Now, it's yes. impossible. Yes. Back then, it was a free-for-all. Yeah. Like, back then, they had what's called Section 32 loans. You can charge 10 points on a deal. So, I was right 10 points, and you just had to disclose. So, I'm doing deals. I'm doing second mortgages, $70,000, $80,000 seconds. And I'm like, yeah, you just have to sign this. I, I was trained this way. I didn't know anything except it's a Section 32. Just have them sign it. It's a 10-point deal. There's no negotiation. So I'm like, all right. I go, listen, it's an $8,000 fee for your $80,000 mortgage. He has the paperwork you have to sign. I'm like, all right. They they like, sign, right it was disclosed, but yeah. you know, that's how I sold. So I was wow. able to sell. I understood psychology. I understood how to connect with people. Yeah. Never lied. Never mis- mistreated them. Never said one thing and did something else. I would just tell them how it was. They knew me, liked me, trusted me. And I would take them from a situation. It was all about the numbers. Uh-huh. So I would show them, you're paying $1,900 a month with all your crap right now. Yeah. I can consolidate that down to $500 a month. Yeah. This is what it's going to cost you, but you're saving, you know, thirteen hundred dollars each month. But there is real value there. Hundred percent value. And next thing, like salesman. So, were you the gentleman who changed you? Was he like a classically trained salesman? He was different. So I learned from him what I liked is he was more the personal side. He was not a telephone guy. He was a relationship person. Okay. So everything from him was referral based, realtor based, very different from how I ended up. I ended up going from that into almost like a boiler room business when I was working for a broker up here in, in, in uh, New York. But was it like, so before this, I don't know if you know, I owned the Mako franchise. Right? Yeah. So I owned yeah. the Mako franchise for 10 years. And my father's partner was a classically trained salesman that worked for Electrolux, selling Electrolux vacuum cleaners door to door in the 70s. That's a Hawkwood sales guy. That's so a like, Yeah, like that dude That's was trained. Tommy Hopkins, Zig Ziglar, like all that Hard- stuff. Hardcore sales. So this hardcore. first guy was not a hardcore sales guy. He okay. was more, he was good, but he was just more relationship connector you know but not a hardcore you and I have an ability to connect with people and I don't really have and I'm being honest I never went through all of these sales training guru things I just have an innate ability to connect and close and and the hunger like the drive like you're like driven you, yeah like you know I remember as a, as a loan officer working at a company I had 500 that 500 500 uh, 500 million was the number on, 500 million was the number on my wall and the guy who owned the company walked by he goes what's that number I go that's the business I'm going to have one day it's going to yield 500 that 500 million dollars a year he's like you're out of your mind and this is before people were like you need to put stuff on your wall and visualize I, this is like whole, you were whole, innately doing this yeah my whole life I've done stuff back in the 90s my whole since I've been a kid the first book I got was as a man thinketh from my uncle mm-hmm. from James Allen and that book just 
put something in my head about what you feed your mind. And I didn't, it didn't say to write stuff out, but I, even when I was in like 10th grade, I would have shit on my wall. Like, you know, life without risk is no life at all. My friends would come over and rank on me. They're like, what is, it was only like bathroom tissue, you know, from the, from, yeah. from high school. You no, know? it's funny. You turn around, it says, what is it? I burn the boats and take massive action. I have yeah, it on my that, phone. Like, that, it, it's it. Yeah. It's all about what you put out there, what you get back. But yeah. I've been doing it since I was a kid and it's just, it's, it's an innate thing with us. But then, so I got into the mortgage business, opened up a mortgage broker's company with uh, with this guy, John, that my brother went to school with. And, um, you know, within a short amount of time frame, we went from him and I in a room probably this size to having 100 employees, to having yeah. 200 employees. Before I knew it, we had 400 employees. Then we had, we grew to about 950 at the height. People working for us, 42 branches nationally. See, and it was out of control. A, I want to ask you, like, it's funny because... We had that conversation before off air about you like, oh, the scaling of the coaching program. I'm like, bro, you already know how to do it. And you just told me you had 900 employees. Yeah, that's, 42 offices. That's nuts. But see, here's what we did wrong. So I was very focused, as was my partner, on sales and marketing. Mm -hmm. So you know what happens when you're freaking top, you're, you're focusing so much on one aspect, your operational platform is yeah. going to suffer. Very hard. So I didn't know what I didn't know back then. You know, I didn't yeah. have operational systems. I figured it out, but it was too late. The market was shifting and it was just too late to get the shift the boat. But what I learned from that whole entire debacle, and I'll get into, you know, I lost it and all this other crap, but I learned from that, you and I spoke off camera, is that... The systems, the operational processes is the most important thing yeah. on, in, in, in tangent with doing the sales and marketing. If you have a sales and marketing machine, you don't have the operational platform to, to support it, you're screwed. If you have an operational platform that's awesome and no sales and marketing, you're not making money. And for me, it's like, I can speak for myself. I, I, I think we're kind of similar, but like I struggle with the operational aspect of it because so that's not what I'm wired to do. Like I need a compliment of myself who's that anal retentive, organized, structured person yeah. to just run shit. And I'm like, bro, I will create business. I will, you know, I'll bring money in. I'll create opportunities. I'll build relationships. I'll raise any money you want. But like, I don't want to deal with the mechanics of this sh that comes after. Yeah. So I forced myself to have to do that though. I forced myself to learn how to do it because I got so paranoid after I lost that business. Now pitch, we're growing this thing from scratch. $5,000 yeah. worth of credit card. Invested it in, started started doing deals. Before I know it, you know we, we got a, a four million dollar um, uh, what do you call it influx of capital, equity capital, debt equity from a company out in Manhattan. Seventy five million dollar line of credit. We're turning it over almost twice a month. I mean, we're doing a billion, one billion, two a year in loan volume, That's thousand mortgages. Nuts. Like it was a machine. Lost it all. Was trying. Was hemorrhaging cash. Was doing a reverse merger with three or four of the companies in Long Island. This is what, when, when... This the, is right before the crash. So the, the real... Like it's coming down. It's coming down. So the, the, the margins in the back end, we were selling off to Wall Street, we were selling off like 800 basis point pools. Okay. And then it was scaling down. It was going, I mean, it was definitely decreasing. It was going from 800 to 600 to 400. So I'm seeing something in 2006. So this is six when everything was still booming. Yeah. But the numbers from Wall Street, they knew there's something going on. Yeah. So they weren't buying with the premium that they used to buy it. Yeah. Then we started having first payment defaults. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? We never had people not pay. Like, we give them a mortgage, and then all of a sudden, 30 days later, they're in default. Yeah. Like, that's a problem. But was this because, were most of those loans like 100%, yes. 100 plus percent? Yes. Like, and, and you find out after the fact, there was a lot of scammers out there, so they were doing a lot of straw buyers. Yeah. So there were these guys that were flipping, and they were getting fake buyers to come in. Yeah. Get them, so I mean, it was just a lot of that shit going on. I got hit. They hit me. I mean, they got millions of dollars out of the business. They, they fucking got me. Well, because, so, and I was talking about some. I was trying to figure out exactly how this works. Like, oh, I was talking to a guy who actually yesterday, who told me that he worked for you. His name is Rob. He works for Freedom now. Rob. What's his last name? 
I, you know what? I had so many friends. Yeah. Anyway, he had a lot of great things to say, but he's like, oh my God, I'm having Billy Alvaro on the show anymore. He's like, I worked for him, da da da. And I'm like, oh, you don't want to open your own mortgage business one day? He goes, no, no way, bro. He's yeah. like, you put up 2.5 million? He goes, there's like a, like a, a buyback time where like, yeah. you know, scratch and dent loan, whatever it is. He's yep. like, you have to pay cash for that stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? If you, um, so. Well, there are scratch and dent companies, they'll, they'll buy it at, buy the discount. So if you're into it for this, make believe it's a $100,000 loan, the scratch and dent will come in at 85 cents in a dollar. But let me ask you this question. Did you guys have a big problem at that point, meaning you're putting out massive volumes of loans? Say we were doing massive volumes of houses, and all of a sudden they start going bad, and then the people that bought those loans are like, they we don't want us. this. They came back to us. They and knocked that, on my door. They said, hey, guess what? Here's $3 million. It, dollars, buy it back. And that's how it all comes down that's in the mortgage started, world? Yeah, that's how it started coming down. Bro, but how does like how does any mortgage company serve? Because inevitably, well, I guess you can... They scratch and dent. So the, we would have to buy it back and then okay. we can sell it off. So now instead of us making you know 108 basis points in a deal, now mm -hmm. we're losing 15 basis points. Plus the eight plus the fifteens were really down twenty three points on the deal, and on a mass scale, right? Is a is it's, a ton of money. Your cash flow goes like this, and that's how it all comes down in the mortgage world in general. Done, done. Are you as the owner? Are you personally on the hook for that stuff? I was for a lot. Wow, for a lot. And I I, I shouldn't have been, but when I started, I had no cre I had credit, but I had no um, what do you call it? No history. Yeah. So I was personally at PG a lot of shit in the early days, and it hit me in the ass, dude. When I Ended up losing everything. And I felt horrible because now I have 950 employees, mouths to feed. Like, these yeah. are people that are depending. Yeah, and I remember going into the room and we were having massive cuts. And I'm just, like, sick to my stomach because I knew what the yeah, hell was man. going on. And I'm, I'm getting, like, chills up my back right now. And I'm like, fuck, these people are depending. And I'm like, I can see the tears in their eyes. Yeah. And, you know. But the world it. was coming to an end, though. But nobody knew it because this was this was literally the beginning of this was like the end of 06. So the world was coming to an end in 07, 08. Yeah. I was a year and a half before it because I was trying to take it public. I was hemorrhaging cash. I was doing all this other crap. And before I knew it, I'm like, you know, this isn't working. And then I got lawsuit happened. The guy that that put in the four million dollars, he ended up suing me. He wanted more money in the deal when we were doing the reverse merger. There wasn't money. I had to disclose to the board. The whole fucking thing is like overnight. Overnight, it bellied up. And the guy probably ended up getting nothing. He got nothing. Got, he got he got guts. Dude, greed, went to court back and forth, and he got nothing. I always say greed is ultimately what takes any good business down. If he would have did that any deal, good person down. listen, he would have got his cash. I would have got some cash. My partner would have got some cash. And who knows if the company would have survived the, the ultimate crash? Because the ultimate crash happened a little bit after that. But um, but it was it was probably. I had two feelings when that happened. One, it was like fucking relief because I had a lot of my own cash in that company. I was putting millions of dollars to keep it afloat thinking I was taking it public, right? Like I'll put my own cash in to make it happen because it's I'm cashing out. This is going to be a great payday. When it fell, and this was like a year I was working on this deal. When it fell, I, I, first I had just relief off my shoulder. Like, all right, fuck it. It's finally fucking over. Like it, it's, at least I have closure and I know. But then an older guy who this happened to, he was in the title business. He pulled me aside and they, I'm glad he did. I don't want to say his name, but good, solid dude. He goes, listen, what's about to happen to you? You have no idea what's going to happen to your world. And he went down a whole laundry list of shit that's, that's about to happen. Your friends and your friends are not going to be there. They're going to start knocking at your door for debt collectors. You're going to be in court every other day. He goes, you're going to be lucky if you get out of this in four years. It's probably going to be six to eight before you're 100% out of it. Prepare yourself. And I didn't understand at the time because I was fucked up of what was going on. Yeah. Six months after I lost it, and after I was like, oh, I'm just taking a breather, this shit hit the fan. Like, debt collectors at the house. 
I had the sheriffs at the house serving me notices. I had private investigators fucking watching my, what, taking pictures of me as I'm coming out of my house. My wife's like, they're across the street, they're in the woods. I go, who's in the, what are you talking? People taking pictures, Newsday knocking at my door. Like, a big company like that goes out. Mm-hmm. People are like, what the fuck happened? Like, overnight, you're gone. The stress that I got hit with and then the personal liability, all in all, when you add everything up between the lawsuits, the judgments, the money that I owed, the money that they took, it was like $14 million in debt, dude. Now, just think about that number for a second. It's it's it's, it's like cartoon money. And it, it was just, I didn't know. I, I, I got to a point, I'm, you mentioned it earlier about the mindset and the wall. For a solid three years after I lost that business, I could not could not make decisions I was so fucked up mentally because it was just I was debilitated yeah. I was I didn't know what to do and I had nobody to help me like everybody disappeared I had no money for good attorneys I'm like what the fuck is going on so I actually I was going through I was in Florida I moved out of here went down to Florida <clears throat> and I saw the law for the, the I had six different law firms for like a year and a half after I lost the business that would charge me in total about $48,000 a month between the six of them and nothing was happening I'm getting billed and all they're doing is billing and they're milking me so I said, fuck this. I, I fired them all. I was in Florida sitting in, the, in this big-ass house that I knew I was going to lose the foreclosure. I'm sitting down and I go, what the hell am I going to do? Internet. Googled, uh, you know, represent yourself in court. Found a course online. An information product online called <laughs> Jurisdictionary. 1999. Had a, this was uh, 2006. How to represent yourself in court and win. I get it. I read it. I'm like, fuck. I fire the attorneys. I hire a paralegal. The, she lived in Jersey. I go, here's my situation. I am not good with writing. I'm horrible with writing. English, don't pitch me going to court trying to write a brief. No way. I go, this is what I have to do. You write, I'll go to court. So if literally for like two years, I went to court on my own. One after the other, I started getting every single case knocked down from $14 million. I think it was down to like $2 million when it was all said and done. And then I had to end up filing bankruptcy. Got out of it. But the, 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 the key to that was the mindset when I got my head straight and I pulled my head out of my ass and I finally got myself clear and focused where I had a mission mm-hmm. and I knew what I needed to do I kind of like the waters parted and, and I just I just focused on what I had to get done but I was simultaneously fighting the lawsuits the 14 over here and at the same time now I'm trying to rebuild my life simultaneously I'm trying to rebuild reinvent myself I started trying to get back in the mortgage industry. Finally ended up doing, obviously, flipping. What year was this? July 4th, 2009 is when I made my mind up that I was getting into this business. And okay. it was I was on the couch drunk, wasted, on drugs at 10 o'clock in the morning. And my wife at the time was like, you know, what the fuck is in going Florida? on? In Florida? No, this was here. Okay. In Long Island. The house in Florida was gone. And, uh, she, you know, that's a whole other story in and of itself. And, and she basically got me to realize I wasn't doing anything. It was three years after I lost the business. I wasn't doing anything because I was afraid. And yeah. once I kind of accepted the fact, like, holy fuck, I'm not... I, dude, I was like, I was afraid to make any type of decision because I thought any decision I was going to make was wrong. And when I realized at that moment, it was like a moment of clarity. And I'm like, holy shit, man, I am afraid. But she goes, when you started your mortgage company, you had no money, no income, no credit, no debt, no no, no, nothing. Yeah. But you didn't have fear either. And I'm like, it just that simplicity of it. And I sat back and I'm like, holy fucking shit. She's right. And it kind of like, it just, it was like a moment where everything, and I was drunk and on pills. And I'm like, shit, this kind of like makes sense. And I just, I sort of visualize and I'm like, I could do this. She's like, what did you always want to do? You always wanted to get into real estate. I don't have any money, no credit, no job. Get $14 million of bills. How am I going to do this? She's like, you you had that once before. What is stopping you? Just go do what you want to do. And you know what? It, that, it was a pivotal moment for me. 
didn't happen overnight. I knew what I wanted to do. I just didn't know how I was going to do it. I'm like, all right, I know I want to, like, I'm going to make money now in a real estate game, but I didn't know how. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't have any money yet. So I had to really, like, go out there and almost beg people to fucking trust me again and be like, listen, here, and I was transparent. Here's what happened. I had perfect credit. This is what went on. This is what my plan is. And I finally found this guy, fucking Lenny, and I just had a conversation with yesterday. And his, and his wife used to, he owned a bank years back, sold out years ago to M&T, made millions. His wife ended up working for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't know who Lenny was. I got introduced to him. I sat down with him. I was 100% honest and transparent. And he goes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a risk on you. He goes, I'm going to hold you a tight leash. I go, dude, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it happen. And that fucker got me started. And still to this day, he's helped me out. I've bailed him out. He's bailed me out. Like, we help each other. He's a friend. He's a good, really good man. Yeah. A really good dude. Shit, man. But yeah, it was uh, it was a trying time. I just went on a rant, but it, it was it no. was it was I, like uh... it was so much more to it, dude. I mean, it was there was so many trying times, and just you know, I was at a point where I was I was literally writing a letter and taking it. I was like out. I was committing suicide. Like it was it was bad. I I can't even imagine. I'm just as you say that shit. I just think. I mean, I've never I've never been exactly in that, but I just I remember a pivotal moment where like I was like I'm, I have to make this transition. I remember someone like looking at me, holding my head, and being like, "Yo." You're gonna do this. It's gonna happen. Like similar to what happened to you. Yeah. Like, go. And then sometimes I saw you that... actually when I was talking to you, I almost saw you like thinking back. Yeah, I was like, I, I like felt this thing shoot up my spine, and I, and I like that is this is one thing I remember holding my head and just being like, you are gonna do it. Yeah. Now go and do it. And like I went and did it. Yeah, and that's it's it's like you you almost need to be told, even though you knew you could. Yeah. Somebody just needed to bring it to your attention. I, I think people. Um, I think people need to understand that like. Well, there's a lot of different things. A, and I want to like, I want to hit you with a bunch of different things because I know I'm sure you got to go and we can ramble all all day. Yeah. But um, people don't realize that like, A, guys like you and I give up a lot to do what we do. We sacrifice. A lot. It's not like, and why we do it is not like for Ferraris and bottle popping and Instagram bullshit. It's a drive, dude. It's just, it's just, I can't even explain the drive that I have and I've had it since I was a kid. I just have this drive to just do. Yeah. And, but it's a double-edged sword because you, your other parts of your life can really suffer. Really suffer. And that's the thing that I, uh, that people, that they people don't really don't get. Like, I, you know, when, you know, Mary, my high school sweetheart, the first, when I had the business, Global, I basically had an affair with my business. I was yeah. never home. I, I was out, you know, 18-hour days and flying around. And when I was home, I was drinking. And that's why I don't drink. I don't do, I don't do anything anymore because for me, I have to have a clear mind, clear body, clear soul. I need to be clear because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an extremist. Yeah, I'm the same there's way. There's no middle way, no middle no. ground, dude. I no. can't just have one drink. I'm fucking going over here. Yeah. So I just realized that I need to just get myself completely straight and stay away from anything that's not going to be good for me. So tell me about like the abridged version of, of now Easy Cell Go. So you, you hook up with your cousin. So, no, that was years later. Okay. So I decided um, I'm going to do this. I didn't know how. And of course, I went back online. Started doing some research. How am I going to do this? The market was at the worst state ever. Everybody was bailing out. Foreclosure crisis. Like everybody and their mothers getting out of the business. Yeah. I go, how am I going to make money doing this business? REOs and short sales. So I just focused in on understanding and mastering REOs and shorts. And I just went to work, dude. I would work until fucking midnight, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning, just making offers to realtors, all the blind offers from, from the fax machine. I would literally, I had, a, I had a, a program. I would download every deal that was an REO, every deal that was a short. Simple fucking analysis. 55% of whatever, the, whatever it's listed for or whatever the ARV was, make the offer. So it would automatically merge over into an offer sheet. I would print them out. 
and I would fax one by one. Then I got a, a program that would actually print, uh, it would actually fax out the the, uh, the stuff to the office for me. Then it would actually email. And then I started getting in trouble because the realtor's like, yo, you sent over eight offers in like a half an hour. So I had the, the system I would have to put on like a dialer where it would email out one offer to the same office every other day. So it was pretty sophisticated, but I made money. I started realizing, holy shit, people are accepting my offers. Then I went, I said, all right, let me get the money to put down. I had no money for down payments. I started JVing with people. Dude, when I got first started, I was giving up like 80% of the profit because I had nothing. Yeah. But I didn't care because I just needed to get going. Yeah. And that was my fuel. And so when people ask me like, well, that's crazy. I would never give up 50% or 70% 80%. I'm like, yo, I would rather have 20% of something yeah. than 100% of nothing. And I'm learning on what I'm doing. And I'm making yeah. myself better. And With somebody else's money. With somebody else's money, and they were getting a lion's share. Yeah, you know, and I, yeah. I, you know, I was, I was underwriting these files. I really learned that I just worked my ass off, and I got that part of the business going to where I was a one-man show, and then I hired my first employee. Didn't even have enough money to pay her. I was maxing out credit cards to pay her to pay the rent. Like she had no clue how bad money-wise it was for me. She had a hundred percent full faith in me. I didn't realize what she was going through, and I still have my first hire, Liz, and she. Started and I'm like, listen, man, this is just. I, if I would have told her I was broke, she never would have came in. But my personality yeah. attracted her. Yeah. She came in. She believed in me. She had to. She saw my vision, and I just, dude, I just worked. I mean, this, the secret is fucking work. Like, yeah. come in and fucking work and get shit done and like whatever you need to do to make it happen make it happen. Whatever it takes. That's the thing in my office. We have a every day from 8:55 to 9:05. We have a 10 minute huddle, virtual, Zoom, all my sales guys, and it's for two things. KPIs, and then really it's fucking mindset. And at the end of the call, we end with, what are you gonna do? We scream it, whatever it takes, and it's a three, four, five time thing. Everybody yells it, and it just gets your mindset going, and that's the mindset you have to have if you're gonna be an entrepreneur. I had nothing, I was on the balls of my ass, if I would've told Liz what I had nothing, and bringing her in, she never would've came in, but then the money started to come in a little bit, and then I realized the problems I had that I faced with Global, is that I didn't systematize. I know how to bring money in, I know how to bring in deals, but I wasn't good with operations. Yeah. So I really governed myself intentionally. I didn't blow this company up. I methodically, she called me the video professor, I would literally videotape all the steps and procedures of how to do a short sale, how to do an REO, how to set up a closing. I would videotape, and then once that was all done, I put the ad out, a very systematized way in order to hire. She came in, she, she had to jump through eight hoops in order to get to me. She finally, I found one girl, she came in. I go, this is what you're gonna do. I gave her the videos and literally for two weeks she watched. She came back with questions and then she was like running that part of the business. Yeah. Systematized. Then I started working on the money and then I just started hustling on the money side and then I started, you know, bookkeeper and then and then Wayne came in I think three, two and a half or three years later. Really? I go, yeah, I'm like, listen, I'm ready to blow this thing up on the rehab side. And uh, he came in, first he came in just working with me and then I'm like, yo, why don't you just why don't you just buy into the fucking company? Just buy in. I go, I fucking trust you. You're my blood. Come in and let's blow this thing up. And you know, we did that I think in 2012, maybe. Yeah. And uh, it just, you know, it. I'm blessed, man. I'm blessed. I'm, I feel grateful for everything that I have, and uh, and everything I've been through because I, if I would have kept global, I mean, who I, maybe I would have been dead from drugs. I mean, who knows? That's nuts. I don't know. You've lived some kind of life, man. And the thing is, like, you're still a young guy. Like, you still have a whole other life to live. I'm, which I'm, is really I'm, exciting. Listen, I'm 49, but I'm fucking 29 in my head. Yeah. <laughs> like, I no, have but people are living of... to be 100, so that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. you literally have a whole other life to live. Yeah. Being, having experienced all that, you know, you have a whole other life. Yeah. So it's just, I'm, I'm excited to, like, to see the progression and, and, and see what you go through cool. and accomplish. 
Cool. Um, it's exci- want, the whole run's exciting. I want to hit you with a couple random ones that I think sure. people like really. A, I guess let's tube. One, um, just you talked about it, but give me like the sixty-second version, like mindset of what it takes to be successful. Like I think I had this thing where like uh, this this kid in my class the other day said to me, "Oh, you were talking uh, on one of your podcasts with um, with Matthew Shane, and you said to him, you know, I really wish I knew at like eight years old or as early as possible what it took to be successful." Because things would have been, I'm blessed that I learned it like 20, 29, 30, but I wish I knew it when I was like eight. I might have been a pro athlete. Right. Right? And he's like, so what is it? And I tell him, I'm curious to know for you, like mindset, what does it take to be successful so at the, anything? So the first thing is that you have to start. So a lot of guys and a lot of people out there, and I just met somebody this morning at the gym. Everybody has an idea that they want to do or something they want to do and they always talk about it. You actually have to fucking do it. You have to start now. Yeah. The best time to start is now. Yes, do your research. Yes, make, but if you don't start something, you're never going to get anywhere. So you have to start. Yeah. And then you have to realize and accept the fact that you are going to fail. Yes. Accept failure. Make it your best friend. Fail as many times as you can and fail forward and pick yourself up and keep on going. Yep. People who just, I think that they get stuck. there. And I was I was this guy when I was younger. I had a fear of failing when I was young. I, I had a Because that's of, what they teach you in school. That's what's like hardwired into your brain. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And it was when I got that book about As a Man Thinketh, James Allen, that, it, if you've ever read that book, it's this big. I mean, you could read it in literally an hour. It's the, it's the easiest book to read. But that book, at a young age, did something to my brain. And I, I realized it's really this thing, this mind of ours, is the absolute most pow- powerful thing that you have, period. If you can set this thing straight, and I'm, I do it every day, dude. I wake up, I do my meditation, I do my visualization, I do my fucking screaming out incantations. Like, I'm a nut with this shit. <laughs> what time in the morning is this? This is between 4 o'clock and 6.30. <laughs> On the way to the gym is when I scream my incantations. And <laughs> I, but listen, if I don't do this, and if, I, if I'm if i running around, all of a sudden I get like I'm on a plane, and I get my off my schedule, and there's a two, three-day lap, I, feel, I it. feel it. And I'm not knowing that I'm not, and all of a sudden I'm like, holy fuck, I'm off my schedule. Yeah. I, it's like I have to, you have to feed your body every day with the proper nutrients. You need to feed your mind yeah. with the proper shit every single, for me, it's every day. I can't live without it. Second of three questions. How do you feel about the market and where do you see it going in the next 12 months? Real estate market. Um, so it's, in my view, I think uh, 12 months is definitely a slowdown now. I think within 12 to 18 months, we're going to see a correction. I think, uh, as you were saying earlier, there's going to be uh, people in our space, especially in the rehab side, that they're going to get caught with their pants down. And there's going to be a lot of guys that can't finish their jobs because the lender's going to be calling the notes due and that property's going to be upside down. It's going to be opportunity. So I see, to me, I see major opportunity, but I see about a six to nine month window, uh, not window, a six to nine month, I guess, time frame where it's going to be stagnant Yeah. because the seller's going to think one thing, the guys who are smart are going to think something else, yep. it's going to be a standstill, and then all of a sudden it's going to get real, yep. and that's an opportunity that's going to present itself. Banks have to adjust and realize, I always tell people that, I'm like, there's like a six to 18 month period where like things are really funky, because yeah, so they, they have to catch up. They have to adjust, yeah. Exactly. And people have to get real with what's going on. Last question. What's what's the next 10 years of Billy Alvaro look like? God. <laughs> God, man. The last 10 years have been crazy. It's it's been, a, it's been a ride. What's the next 10 years? So I see this company, I see the, the wholesale and renovation company nationally. I see me again being in the banking business, but not not the mortgage banking, private money. I'm definitely getting back into that. Yeah. Um, 
and I'm really contemplating about the speaking thing on a national basis. I'm still, I'm still like this with it. I love it. I had a great time doing. By the it's way, it's a lot of fun, man. I, I, but so, so talking about fear, I literally, I had such a fear of public speaking to a point where if I knew I had to go somewhere and speak, I, I for a week beforehand, I couldn't, I couldn't speak, I, I couldn't think, I wouldn't sleep. So I actually went to a freaking hypnotist. Really, a hypnotist two years ago to cure me of this stuff because I go, I can't deal. I once I got up and I started speaking, I was fine. Yeah. But the whole anxiety piece of building up to it, yeah, it, it killed me, and I said I can't live like this, and so. Once I got that part of it done, did it work? First shot right out the gate. It worked. Um, so I went to CG and I did my presentation. That was June of a year and a half ago. And yeah, I was like, I said, holy shit, I don't have any issues at all. This is weird, like zero. And this time when I did the event, 104 people in the room. When I tell you I had zero anxiety, zero issues, zero even thought about. I just went in there just to deliver content and really train these people. And I got to tell you, it was for me so rewarding. Because I had people just on film saying what they've learned. They're like, you've given me more in a, in a $297 event than I've spent $5,000 on it. You gave me more content, more real world, your energy, this. And I'm like, fuck, man. Like, I love that part of it. But I really, honestly, I'm, I'm being sincere when I say this. I don't know if I'm going to turn it into a real business. Mm-hmm. I love speaking in front of people. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. So who knows? I mean, you know, 10 years, you know, I'll be around. You'll Listen, be seeing me. The awesome thing Maybe is... On TV. The awesome thing is, like, it, there's nothing but possibilities, bro. And I'm excited to... It's uh, whatever you put here, whatever I want to do, whatever you want to do, yeah. it's going to come to fruition. I mean, that's just it. It's whatever I want. Bro, I love you. I respect you. I love the energy. I feed off of it. I need it. It's my lifeline. You're an energy guy too, bro. I, I need it, man. I need it to live. That's why, like, I need the passion. I'm like, you got to be passionate about something. I don't care yeah. what it is. I don't care if it's, like, flipping bottle tops. Like, I got to feel passionate. that passion from yes. you. Or, like, we're just not going to connect. How do people get in touch with you? How do they follow you on social media? You know, yep, if someone wants yep. to sell a house, buy a house. Perfect. Good. Yeah. So social media, Billy Alvaro on uh, on Instagram. It's it's the uh, what is it? The Unstoppable BA on Instagram. Unstoppable BA, and on Facebook, it's Billy Alvaro. You can go to the website easysell411.com or six three one four hundred easy if they want to sell. But listen, if you're going to sell and you're on this podcast, you sell to the handsome home buyer first. There you go. And if you're going to, you're going to call five one six seven 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 sold. Or if you have a permit, and I know you're going to need a permit sometime. We're this, year. About this yes. 516-513-8838. That's a wrap. Awesome. That was, that was great, bro. Orgulloso estoy de mi herencia judía. Ven a mi leve, ven slow. Cuando me llamas a la torre, así me llamo yo.